Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to begin reading here in verse number 8. The scripture says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul in our text here this morning is going to deal with this main problem that was going on in the church here at Colossae. And uh, false teachers had arisen in this church, and from what we know, uh, they were teaching what was known as Gnosticism, which was basically uh, saying that Jesus really hadn't come in the flesh, that really he was just a spirit. Uh, Gnostics believed that the flesh was evil, And so for Jesus to be in the flesh meant to say that Jesus was evil. And so they rejected the whole idea of God himself being in the flesh and dwelling upon them. Um, Gnostics also, these uh, false teachers also promoted all kinds of things, evidently circumcision. They uh, promoted uh, viewing certain days and festivals as, as, as more higher than others. Uh, They wanted you to abstain from certain things uh, and to indulge in certain things. And Paul says, I want you to know what these people are doing. Uh, They are taking you captive. Uh, They're leading you astray. They were deceiving these believers with this counterfeit message of what Jesus, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And they were leading them astray. And in the end, these believers were coming up empty. In 2015, Christian Lusardi had an idea to make a lot of money. He made millions of dollars worth of counterfeit casino chips and took them to a poker tournament in Atlantic City. His plan was to use the chips throughout the tournament and walk away then with real money. However, his plan didn't go quite as well. After using an estimated $800,000 in the fake poker chips... Christian lost his nerve and decided to dispose of the rest of the chips. The week-long tournament was suspended just after three days when guests at the hotel reported a leak in the sewer line in two adjoining rooms. Authorities said, hotel staff found the leak and had allegedly been caused by someone flushing counterfeit poker chips with a face value of nearly $2.7 million dollars down the toilet. More than 500 chips were extracted from plumbing. 
another 22 counterfeit $5,000 chips were discovered in a clogged toilet in the men's room at the casino, bringing the total face value of the counterfeit chips recovered to $3.6 million. Now you think about all those people playing in the game and doing the stuff when they had to suspend the game and here's people thinking that they actually won real money, but in fact, they didn't win money. By the way, I don't advocate gambling at all, just so I throw that out to you, to you, okay? Now those that deceive people always leave others with emptiness. Believers here at the church in Colossae were being deceived by these false teachers and being taken captive by their message that looked and sounded good. And Paul redirects their attention and he says, no, I want you to look at Christ again. Be captivated by who Christ is. Don't be drawn away by this false message or this false teaching that these men were promoting. He says, I want you to be captivated by Christ. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Be captivated by Christ by knowing who he is and what he has done. Be captivated by Christ by knowing who he is and what he has done. So number one, beware of being kidnapped. When I was a kid growing up, uh, my parents, I can remember oftentimes, we lived right next door to the elementary school. I mean, I could roll out of bed and be in, in the classroom the next, like, five minutes. I mean, it was so close, right? But we lived right next door to that elementary school, and we would go over there and play oftentimes on the playground. And my parents many times would set us down and tell us of the dangers of strangers and the dangers of being taken away and being kidnapped. And they would warn us, hey, if some guy comes up to you and says, hey, kid, I got some candy. Come check it out in my van, right? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Run away, run away, right? Um, so they warned us of the dangers of being kidnapped. And Paul here is warning these believers. He's saying, see to it. Don't be deceived. Don't be kidnapped by false teaching. And evidently, some false teachers had rose up in this church and were leading these believers away from the true gospel. Notice Paul's language here. See to it that what? Some people? No. No one. No one takes you captive. Watch out. What are we to be watching out for? The counterfeits. The false teachers, those who would try to take us captive and lead us away from the truth and being grounded in the gospel. As one commentator comments on this verse, be on your guard, do not suffer yourselves to fall a prey to certain persons who would lead you captive by a hollow and deceitful system, which they call philosophy. They substitute the traditions of men for the truth of God, they enforce an elementary discipline of mundane ordinances fit only for children. Theirs is not the gospel of Christ. Now take note of that word captive there. The word has some interesting imagery behind it. The word means to rob and to carry off as booty or as a prey or captive. It's kidnapping. 
It's the same word that was used when you would take the spoils of war. In fact, in the King James uh, translation, it actually uses the word anybody that would take you through spoil. Uh, in fact, Paul here is saying, watch out for these people who desire to lead us astray and take advantage of you, try to lead you away from Jesus Christ, from following Christ, from having your attention and your focus on Christ, and being led astray by other teachings that are not grounded in Scripture. And so he doesn't want you to be kidnapped through that. Now notice how they do this. Paul says that they do it through philosophy. That word philosophy is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's only found in this one instance here in Colossians. And Paul was probably talking about the false teachers, and he's probably taking what these false teachers promoted, which uh, he was using the same language that they used, and he's saying, don't be deceived by the philosophy. He says that it sounds impressive, it promises a lot, but it's deceptive, and it produces really an empty shell. And if you're not careful, they'll carry you away as captives to it. So what is philosophy? Well, it's made up of two words, philos, which is a friendly love, and sophos, which is wisdom. So basically, it's a love of wisdom. Now, there's nothing wrong with wisdom, but you know, there are two different types of wisdom. There is a heavenly wisdom, which is grounded in the truthfulness of who Christ is, and it comes from above, but there is also an earthly wisdom, which scripture says that it is sensual, it's devilish, um, it's demonic. And so the kind of wisdom that these believers were being captivated by was not a heavenly wisdom, but it was a worldly wisdom. And probably this philosophy was Greek in nature. The Greeks loved philosophy. They loved wisdom. They liked to talk about it. Uh, they, they consider, Paul even writes in uh, Romans, uh, he talks about, or in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how that the Greeks, uh, they love wisdom and that they despise the very wisdom of God because they considered it as being foolishness. And uh, so these people were teaching this philosophy that was earthly in nature. Now we're not exactly sure as to what was being taught, but basically from what we can gather from what Gnosticism believed was you had to have this secret knowledge of God. So it'd be like me going up to Sean and saying, Sean, hey, I'm really glad that you're a follower of Jesus, but do you have the secret knowledge of God? And him going, what? Oh, why don't you come over to my house and I'll tell you all about it. And then I began to deceive and plot and give Sean some things that are not really grounded in Scripture about who God is so that way he can have a secret knowledge of God. And they were being led astray. Uh, we know that this knowledge or this uh, wisdom, they prided itself as what Paul says in uh, verse number 23. Uh, he says, if indeed you continue... Uh, excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 23, he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So more than likely, there were probably uh, these people here that were teaching, well, hey, if you just have this secret knowledge, 
then you won't sin anymore. And if you do this, you won't do this anymore. And if you do this, you won't do this anymore. And uh, they were being led astray. So these false teachers were teaching this worldly wisdom as a form of godliness. They were saying things like, you need to listen to the secret knowledge to really get to know God. Or you need to practice these things to grow more in your understanding of God and Jesus. And so the wisdom that they were promoting had nothing to do with Christ. Now you say, Mike, that was back then. We don't have to worry about that. That's not something... Nobody's coming up to me and telling me that I need to have a secret knowledge of God. Yeah, you're right. Nobody's doing that today. But the spirit of that is still alive and active today, even in churches. The counterfeits are still at it today. Christians are still being deceived by worldly wisdom to promote spirituality. As I said, what James 3.15 says, that this wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Christians, instead of looking to Christ and his word for answers, what are they running to? The world, for their opinion, for their wisdom, and what they think should be done in their lives. They seek out self-help and guidance, and they're being taken captive by worldly philosophy through wrong teaching. Now notice what Paul says the end result of this philosophy is. Empty deceit. You're left empty-handed. There's nothing there. Emptiness. So you got to be aware and be alert that no one takes you captive by this philosophy. Don't be deceived. And I say that even... Again, just even as an elder here at this church, uh, whatever we as elders are teaching you, you have the responsibility to check it out for yourself, to be in the Word and knowing what the Word teaches. Don't just come into to the, to the, uh, to the building and click your brain off, right? You need to know what the Word says. So how do you recognize this type of philosophy well, Paul gives us some interesting descriptions of it. He says it's according to human tradition. In other words, this teaching or wisdom originates with man. It is man-made. You need to be aware that there is teaching out there that says it's Christian, but it has its roots in man's wisdom and worldly wisdom. It promises and promotes spirituality, but in the end, it is a hollow deception. It may use spiritual or scriptural words even such as God, Jesus, faith, prayer, gospel. It may even use scripture, but uses the scriptures out of context or uses them to say something else. When this type of philosophy is put to the test of scripture, it does not stand. And so that's why you need to be aware. Be aware that no one takes you captive through philosophy. This is why you need to have a biblical mindset. You need to be renewing your mind with, with Scripture, allowing the Word of God to saturate and soak in your mind so much that when there is this human wisdom that arises and looks spiritual, sounds spiritual, sounds good. Paul even said, don't be led away by these plausible arguments, these arguments that just sound so, so good. He says, don't be led astray by that. You need to have the mind of Christ. 
Notice what else he says, how you can recognize this. He says it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. What is this? This is really a highly debated phrase amongst uh, people. Now let me see if I can help us wade through this a little bit and help us grasp what uh, this philosophy is marked by. Now, I don't like the way the ESV translated this. They used the word elemental spirits. Um, we find that uh, used verse uh, number 8, but he also uses the same word in verse number 20. And the way that it's translated there uh, in verse number 20 he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to its regulations? Um, Paul uses the same language in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 3 and verse number 9. But instead of saying elemental spirits, the word uh, translated, he trans- it's, it's translated as uh, elemental principles. Listen to what uh, Galatians 4, 3 and 9 says. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you then turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be, to be once more? And I really believe the NASB translates this verse literally a lot better um, as the elementary principles of the world. And really that phrase means to put things in order, A, B, C, D. Uh, Based on the context, which I believe what we're looking at here, and also in Galatians 4, I believe the NASB translates this verse literally and a lot better as the elementary principles of the world. And that phrase meant to put things in a row. So I believe what Paul is trying to teach them is by these elementary principles... Paul is referring to an approach to God by keeping certain rules. So he's saying, don't be deceived by people saying, in order for you to get close to God, that you have to do A, B, C, D, on and on and on and on. He says, don't be deceived by that. How do we come to faith in God through Jesus Christ? Is it anything of our own merit? None, right? It's nothing that we do. How do we sustain that relationship with God. Is it anything that we do? No, right? God himself is at work in our lives, okay? As we read scripture and allow the scripture to speak for itself, scripture reveals who God is, and we take that and we say, I believe that and I trust that, right? So Paul's saying, don't be deceived by these people that are saying, well, in order for you to be a good follower of Jesus, you're going to have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Okay? So don't be fooled by those elementary uh, principles. And really what these people were doing is they were puffed up with this knowledge and this philosophy. And Paul says, don't be, and, and I love the language that he uses here because he's saying, don't be deceived by these elementary principles. It's almost kind of a slam to him because he's like, he's like, don't go back to spiritual kindergarten here. Okay? Like, you're supposed to be mature in Jesus Christ. So he says, don't be deceived by them. In Galatia, the uh, false teachers emphasized the ritual of circumcision along with other Jewish ceremonial laws such as observing days, months, seasons, years uh, as for necessary for salvation and also your, uh, I guess, approval of God. You know, that's one thing that we got to be constantly aware of is the deception of 
trying to please God by things that we do or don't do, okay? Where we're all, always on this constant spiritual treadmill of thinking, well, I have to do this in order for God to like me and to love me. Well, I got news for you. Uh, the Bible tells us that Romans 5, 8, in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. So you didn't have to do anything to please him in order for God to love you, right? Uh, he took you just as a sinner. Um, and so in our spiritual faith walk with Jesus, we're not doing things to try to earn God's favor, earn God's approval, because we can't. It's all because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so by circumcision or whether it's keeping of certain uh, days or weeks or festivals, all that kind of stuff, that's what these guys were promoting to try to uh, say that this is the way that God would like you more, have more favor towards you, you'd really have a secret knowledge of God, and he's saying don't be deceived by that. The main problem was that all of this philosophy, man's traditions, detracted from the person and work of Jesus. The, the, the message of who Jesus is and, and what he has done had become clouded. And Paul says, I want to cut through all of that and make Jesus more clear to you. That's why he spent the whole time in uh, Colossians 1, remember? Talking about he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all cre creation. He is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead. He's trying to get their attention focused back on Christ and not focused on uh, what these people were trying to say. And so they were trying to uh, deceive people and, and lead them astray. And Paul says, I want you to focus in on Christ. In our day, the rules may have changed, but the enemy still uses this legalistic, flesh-exalting approach to lure people away from the truth of the gospel. It usually elevates minor points of doctrine into major issues. Um, it sometimes emphasizes man-made rules as more important than the two great commandments of loving God and loving others. Um, in every case, it appeals to human pride by basically saying, that by believing certain non-essential things or by keeping certain man-made commandments, you can be acceptable to God. And such religious approaches to God are counterfeits. You see, as believers in Jesus, we need to be captivated, not by philosophies, but by Christ. This is why it's so important that you're spending time with Christ in his word. Because the more that you come to know him, in a greater way, you, your heart begins to, to draw closer to Him. And as your heart is drawn closer to Him, He's drawn closer to you. And you become captivated by Him. So how then can we steer clear of this kind of teaching and avoid being deceived? Well, Paul sums it up with that phrase. Look what he says in Colossians 2.8. According to Christ. You see, they were being deceived by all this other stuff. And their eyes were not fixed on Christ. You have to have your eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is at the center of true Christianity. And Paul goes on to show that. So here's the second thing. If we are going to be captivated by Christ, we need to be grounded in the truth that Jesus is all that you need. Look what he says in uh, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. <clears throat> 
For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. One of the many things that these false teachers were teaching was that you needed Jesus plus something else. Paul, however, reaffirms them of who Jesus is and what he has done. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to remember that Jesus is all that you need. You don't need Jesus plus extra stuff. So that's why these cults thrive so much, because they teach Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, Jesus plus this. In Christianity, as a believer of Jesus, we just need Jesus. We don't need the latest and greatest hip and cool philosophies and man-made teachings to help us draw closer to Jesus. We just need him. You'll see in verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul reestablished who Jesus is and what Jesus has done by using that phrase. Notice what he says, in him. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now keep in mind why Paul was saying this, because these false teachers were trying to destroy the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Notice first that Jesus is all you need because he is God in the flesh. Notice what it says there, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 9 here is one of the most direct and clear statements of the deity of Jesus Christ in all Scripture. Now, what do you mean when you say by deity, Mike? What does that mean? Well, that's a word we use to say that Jesus is God. Let me help you with that in a little bit. When you're studying and reading Scripture, and you come to verses like this, that teach things about who Jesus is, what you need to do is you need to be writing those things down. And maybe if you wanted to keep a a piece of paper uh, taped to the inside of your Bible... And write down, Jesus is God. Then start listing the verses. Here's one, Colossians 2, 9. Why do you need to know that? Well, because if you ever encounter a false teacher, right? Sometimes they come over to your house. They knock on your door, right? And they want to talk to you. And they may say, start talking about how Jesus isn't God. Wait, wait, hold on. Look at all these verses that I have to show that Jesus is God right here. And you just begin to read them, right? Okay? This is something that, you should, that could be very helpful to you. Um, because there are people that like to say things that Jesus is not God, or Jesus was just a man, or Jesus is just like any other. You can, war- or, uh, you, can, uh, um, uh, you can follow anybody else except Jesus, right? No, Jesus is God, right? And all you got to do is just whip out your little list there, and bam, there you go. You got, you're prepared for battle. You can go right into to battle there. So this verse is very plain in stating who Jesus is. The false teachers in Colossae, they they viewed uh, the flesh as evil, and so to say that God came in human form and dwelt in the fullness of Jesus, that they didn't agree with that. So they rejected that idea. And they said, Jesus really didn't come in flesh. He came as a spirit. And uh, he really didn't live among us in the flesh. And they denied the true humanity of Jesus And against those air, Paul asserts both fully the deity 
and the complete humanity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. The word deity there is used only here in the New Testament. Uh, a different word, which in uh, Greek varies uh, by only one letter, is used in Romans 1.20, where Paul states that God's divine nature is clearly seen in his creation. And so there Paul is saying that if you look at God's creation, you can learn something of what he is like. Rays of his divine attributes shine forth, right? Uh, we look at the mountains, we look at the stars, we look at the grass, the different colors, and we can definitely see something of what God is like. And uh, so Christ made all things, is what we saw in Colossians uh, 1, uh, verses 16 through 18. You know, he's the creator of all things. But the word here used in Colossians 2, 9 means that Jesus Christ was and is absolute and perfect God. Not just part of the divine nature or divine quality as the uh, Jehovah Witnesses uh, Bible, the New World Translation translates this, but it's the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus Christ, the fullness of Him. And that refers to the totality of the divine powers and the attributes. And then we see that word dwell. So for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is referring to the present tense. It shows that Jesus is and always will be God. Jesus didn't become God when he was uh, born uh, in, in Bethlehem. Right? Jesus didn't become God when he was baptized, as uh, some people even teach. Jesus didn't become God when he was on the cross. No, Jesus was always God. He always existed. Uh, he didn't have his beginning there in Bethlehem. But also, Paul asserts that Jesus is truly human. And uh, God's fullness dwells in Jesus, Jesus bodily. See, see it there? And so, this refers to his incarnation, that when Jesus was born, God was dwelling in him bodily, all, all the way. And Jesus possessed a sinless human body, because if he couldn't do that, if Jesus didn't have a sinless human body, um, it would be impossible for him to pay for the sins of, of the world. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. And if Christ was not 100% man, he could not sympathize with us as well with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. You see, this is what's so awesome about how the fact that we can go to God and we can pray to God. The fact that Jesus himself was tempted at all points like we were, yet without sin. And so he can be merciful to us and he can sympathize with us of knowing what we're going through. You see, God's not just over there just far and off and distant. And he, you know, we just can't even really be near and close to him because we have a mediator. Jesus Christ, the righteous, right? We have an advocate, is what uh, 1 John says. And so we can come to him and we can pour out our heart before him because he knows what it's like to be human because he dwelt among us as a human. And he was tempted in all points like we are, 
yet without sin. So Paul's point is that if Jesus Christ is the eternal God in human flesh, what more could we need? Do we need anything else besides Jesus? No. Do we need what the world has to say about our problems? No. Because we have a faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. We have God in the flesh who dwelt among us. We have Jesus who is our mediator and our faithful high priest that we can come to and talk to. And so Jesus alone lives to make intercession for us. Do we really believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you practice that? I mean, do you live by that? Or is it always, well, I'm going to see what so-and-so has to say about this. Or I'm going to see what uh, this person has to say about this. You know, I was just listening to Dr. Phil the other day. And you know what Dr. Phil had to say about this? He said that I should, whoa, time out. Worldly wisdom, watch out. Don't be deceived, right? We have to be in Scripture, allow Scripture to speak for itself and obey Scripture and apply Scripture and have the mind of Christ. Notice also, secondly, that Jesus is all you need because you are complete in him. Verse number 10, look what he says. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Do you see the connection there between verses 9 and 10? In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Right? The, what these false teachers were teaching is that you're missing out on something. Reba, you're missing something. You're missing something. You need to do some extra stuff to really find out what the fullness of God really is. Paul's like, no. You are filled in him. You have everything that you need in Christ. This verse literally reads, And you are in him, having been fulfilled, who is the head of all rule and authority. Now take note of that word filled or complete. It's related to the same word used for the fullness of deity in Christ. And so Paul is saying, Christ has the fullness of deity dwelling in him. You are in him, thus you have been made full in his fullness. You don't need anything else. The Living Bible paraphrases this this way. He says, so you have everything when you have Christ and you are filled with God through your union with Christ. You see, when you're born into this world, you're born complete. Uh, Linda over here, she was a, uh, a nurse for several years, and I know um, Sarah, she's a nurse. And uh, has either one of you ever worked in the, uh, um, the delivery room? Yes. You, you have. Okay, thank you. All right, this is good. Okay, so Linda, when, when those babies were born, were they born whole and complete? They had everything, right? Now, most of the time, now we understand that there are times when, you know, we live in an imperfect world, a world that has been cursed by sin, and we understand that sometimes there are uh, problems with uh, children that are being born, but you would say that most people, when they're born, they have two eyes, two legs, two arms, right? Five fingers, right? Ten fingers, ten toes, right? Okay? They have all of this stuff, right? They have everything that they need. And see, this is Paul's point saying, 
when you were born into the Christian faith, when you were born again, you have all of Jesus that you will ever need. You don't need extra stuff. You don't need extra spiritual experiences. He says you have it all in Christ. Don't be led astray. Don't be taken captive by teaching that says, well, if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to get to know God, then you're going to need this extra stuff. Paul says, don't be led astray by that kind of stuff because you have all of it. You've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We may not understand it all or be able to use it all until we grow in the Lord, but we have it all. And notice what Paul adds to this in verse number 10. He says that Christ is the head of all rule and authority. The false teachers were promoting worship of the angels. Paul is saying that not only did Christ create all of those angels, but he rules them. Why worship the creature rather than the almighty creator? Boy, isn't that really what we're seeing today in our culture? Romans 1, people worshiping the creation more than the creator. The worship of self. Perhaps you're thinking, okay, but how does all this help me practically? I live in a real world where I struggle against sin. I have a hard time with that. How does all this stuff about being complete in Christ relate to where I live? Well, great question. Paul actually answers that for us in the following things. And here it is. In Jesus, you have power over sin. When you begin to think of not only who Christ is, but then what Christ has done, I promise to you that your heart will grow and be stoked. the fires will be stoked again where you start drawing closer to Jesus. You'll be able to be drawn and captivated to him, his love and his grace in your life. And not only is Christ the only one that you need, but also in Jesus, you have this power over sin. Um, these false teachers were teaching all kinds of things, circumcision, and you got to do this, you got to do that. If you really want to have power over sin, right? But you got to do all these things. So how can I have power over sin in my life? How can knowing about Jesus' work on the cross impact my faith life to live a life that is pleasing to him? Next week. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.